All right, Lord, we come tonight as a kingdom of priests. And we say that we love you. And I just thank you, God, that you take us from glory to 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 glory. And that for all of eternity, we get to live in the bliss of your very presence, God. And so I just honor you tonight. I honor your, your very manifest presence that is here amongst us. And Lord, I just say what a gift it is. I just, I felt like this was on, on my heart in worship that there are many of you in here who had really, really difficult weeks, difficult times that you've just felt like the enemy's been after you nonstop. Um, but tonight you gave him worship. And uh, he received it as a fragrant offering. And I feel like the Lord is just proud. And, and we just say, Lord, we're so grateful that in this day and in this hour, uh, this very limited time that we have on earth where we can still experience pain and suffering and, and difficulty, we joyfully give you our hearts tonight. We joyfully give you our, our consciousness and our minds. Because you are worthy in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, he is worthy. Come on. Wow. Everyone looks extra beautiful tonight. Yeah, this shirt looks good, doesn't it? Shoot. I wore it a week or two weeks early. It's my Easter shirt. But, uh... Hey, I have this, I'm gonna, we're going to be out of here tonight um, by six, by six, I hope. <laughs> Buckle up. Um, I got a short message, but I think it's, it's, it's going to hit home. Um, and we're going to talk about joy tonight. And we're going to, yeah, come on. Wow. Thanks, Dish. We're going to talk about joy tonight. Come on. And then we're going to talk about the blood of Jesus. And um, one of the things that I have, it's probably one of the biggest convictions on my heart, is that when Jesus comes back someday, uh, that he is going to receive a joyful bride. That he is going to receive a bride that is filled with delight and joy and expectation for the coming of a king. And how many of you know, like, we need more joy in the church of Jesus? Like... It's like we need a whole lot more joy. Uh, and, and one of the things that I love that the Lord's doing in our church right now is that he's increasing joy in our midst. Uh, I love this. It's happening in worship. How many of you would say you've been growing in joy over the last year or so? Come on. I love that. It's because in his presence is the fullness of and so as we as a church are engaging in worship and, and stepping into praise and learning what's going on in the heavenlies and offering ourselves to him, he's manifesting his presence and in his presence is the fullness of joy. And so therefore, when we get in touch with his joy, our lives start to change. And so, but the thing that I feel so strongly is that we haven't even begun to touch the like, the, like we're just starting to touch it. 
Like we're starting to see joy manifest in this house that looks like dancing and praising and the arts and all this amazing stuff. But I believe what the, what the Lord wants to do in our house is that he wants to produce a joy that leads to like, I can't wait to be holy, God. Like, God, I'm so joyful that I want to go love my enemy. Like, God, I'm so joyful that when I think of purity, I get excited. I don't dread it. That's the joy that Jesus wants to do in his bride. Like, he wants to create a joy that's far beyond just dancing and being happy. Like, he, although it is happiness, and if you don't think joyful is happy, you're wrong. Joy absolutely is gladness and happy and celebration and dancing. But he wants to get into us his joy. Like the kind of joy that says, for the joy set before him, like I will endure the cross. How many of you know joy, like if you're joyful about something, you're probably better at that thing. Right? So, so here's an example for you. Uh, my wife loves numbers. She is like a numbers gal. She's an accountant and Excel and numbers and tax season makes her happy. And so when it's tax season, like she gets joyful. And because she's joyful with numbers and Excel and spreadsheets, she's really, really good at her job. Me, on the other hand, when I think about numbers, I run. Like, numbers don't give me joy. They give me deep, deep, deep anxiety. In fact, one of the main reasons when I'm, when I, this is just true and honest. God can use a donkey, I guess. But when I went to, to college and I was choosing my major, I was like, which major has the least amount of math classes? And it happened to be theology. <laughs> And so, praise everyone, say praise God for theology. <laughs> but when we're joyful, like we're good at things, like we want to go the extra mile when something gives us joy. And that's what I believe the Lord wants to do in us. I believe he wants to increase our joy. And I think we also have to be really honest about our assessment of joy in our life. Can we just be really, we got 30 minutes together tonight. Can we just be honest? The question I want to ask you is, do you manifest joy everywhere you go? Um, Is the church of Jesus Christ the most joyful place you can be in? Um, When you're at your workplace, are you known as as a heavy person or are you known as somebody who radiates life? In your family, are you radiating joy? Are you like, you, you see what I'm saying? We have to have a healthy assessment of the joy levels in our lives. And I think if we're honest, we all uh, need more joy. And one of the things that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach from down here tonight. One of the things that I think is, is so essential is joy is one of the main reasons Jesus came to give his people. 
John 15, it's one of the very last things, last times he's talking to his disciples. He's, he's telling them to abide in me, to remain in me, to allow me to prune you, all these things. And then he tells them, I tell you these things so that my joy may be real in you. There's a joy, you know, there's a joy of Jesus that he has for your life. A joy that no matter how hard your life is getting, no matter how difficult, no matter the, the, the sickness that comes after you. Trust me, this week, I've, had, I've been sick. I'll just be honest. I've been sick since Christmas. Whether uh, Sick, sick, sick. And I just feel like the enemy's after my joy. And I have a choice each and every day to step into the reality of the spirit, which in his presence is the fullness of joy. Or I can complain and become a victim. But his blood speaks a better word. And my encouragement for all of you is to have an honest assessment. I think we can get really comfortable with the suffering that we'll have in this earth, but we don't look at what Jesus wants. And what Jesus wants is a bride who radiates through a smile. Like I think how the kingdom of God's going to come in your workplace, what's going to give you access to people's hearts and the workplace to share the gospel with them is when you smile. Are, some, are you someone who's happy? Are you someone that's filled with joy and life and peace? And do people want to be around you? Amen? Yeah. I long for the day that when people think about the church, they think about the happiest place on earth, not Disneyland. Although I love Disneyland. But truly, you know, the, the church of Jesus isn't known for our joy. We're pretty much known for everything but our joy. And I think that's a shame because he came and it says in his presence is the fullness of joy. And I believe joy is essential for the life that is to come. We live in a world that is, is hard. How many of you would say this, what, what's going on in the world today is difficult? It's hard. We got we have plagues, all that crazy stuff, that pandemics, all this stuff going on. And Jesus wants to give you a joy and a hope that everywhere you go, you radiate that there is a kingdom that is not of this world, that is far more real than this earth could ever be. Yeah, and that's the kind of bride that he wants to come back to. I don't know about you, but when I thought of, when, when, I, when I got married, it was like the most joyful day of my whole life. Like there were tears, of course there were tears, but they were joyful tears. They were happy tears. They were like, oh, yay. I don't think Jesus is going to come down to, a, to come back for a bride that's, that's like not excited to see him. I think he's going to come down for a bride who's like, ha ha. I can't wait. And uh, if you're wondering for other words for joy in, in Hebrew, I don't know if any of you would wonder that, but I thought it was good because I've heard plenty of people, well, Pastor A.J. Doy doesn't mean happy. Well, it means exceeding gladness. Gladness, one, one person says it can mean like almost like a senseless happiness, like you're too happy to be true. <laughs> How good is that? And celebration. That sounds like happy to me, amen? So the question is, is why are we not joyful? 
And here's where I want to, st- I want to stick to for the rest of the night. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but there's two that I really want to focus on tonight. Is I believe um, where there is a lack of joy, there is a lack of revelation of the blood of Jesus. And that there is a lack of meditation on the blood of Jesus. Because the Bible says that you have been justified and made righteous by the blood of the lamb. And I don't know what could produce more joy than if we truly knew in the center of ourselves that I am right before God. That I am, because of his blood, because of his sacrifice, because of the nails in his hand, the thorns on his brow, the nail in his feet, I am righteous before God. What could give me more joy than knowing that I am righteous before the throne of grace, that I am justified, that I'm reconciled, and that I am redeemed, that I get to stand in the holiest of holies, like be sanctified in his presence. Nothing could give us more joy. This is why in the book of Psalms, the writer saying, restore to us the joy of our salvation. But if, but if we're being honest, if we're being honest, we forget. We forget the truth of the spirit. We, we, I don't know about you, but sometimes the blood of Jesus can, can become this, this really distant memory. This event that took place 2,000 years ago. And do we meditate on the blood of Jesus daily? Because I believe what happens when we lose sight and we lack revelation on the blood of the lamb, on the great atonement, when we lose sight of that, we become numb. We become numb to the cross. We become numb. We can too easily talk about the nails in his hands and thorns on his brow. We can grow numb to the gospel. And when we grow numb to the gospel, we are most vulnerable to sin. And if you want to know why you don't have joy in your life, or if there's a lack of joy, it's because you've gone numb to the gospel. And because you're numb to the gospel, you're vulnerable to sin. And sin comes to steal, kill, and destroy life. Sin is what creates joylessness. I don't know about you, but have you ever sinned and been like, wow, I feel really good about myself right now? No. Well, and if you do, that's because you're on a substance. And then the next day you're like, okay, that was not good. (laughs) And I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in a reality that is anything less than what Jesus paid for. And I believe sin is living in a reality that is anything less than what Jesus paid for. Whether it's pride or lying or sexual immorality, whatever it is, it's, it's when God's people who are washed by his blood still choose to sin. 
Because what, and what begins to happen over time is, is we get used to reading the story of the gospel as just a story, yet it doesn't become real in our hearts. But, but, but if the gospel gets real in our I'm just preaching the gospel tonight, it looks like. But like when the gospel gets real in our hearts, that's when joy begins to manifest. Hope begins to manifest. I would suggest the only reason there's not a lot of joy in the church because either we don't know the, the power of the blood of the lamb or we've forgotten the power of the blood of the lamb. And here's the truth. There is an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And I believe the number one way he can attack you and he can attack uh, myself is by making us numb to the blood. If I become numb to the blood, he has all the influence he needs in my life. Because the truth is I'm right before him. The truth is I have unlimited access to the heavenly realms. The truth is because of the, the, the nails in his hands, the flesh that was whipped open, and because he rose again, that I have healing, that I have wholeness, that I have life, that I have an unlimited supply of joy, hope, and peace. Amen? And so we're going to talk about the blood for the next 15 minutes. Um. But what happens, and I'm going to read something that's going to make some of y'all cringe, but that's all right. You're supposed, that's kind of funny. Come on, giggle a little. But what happens is the enemy, the enemy comes and he, and he tries to lie and he tries to, he just lies to you about who you are over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. He just lies like you're this. And sometimes it will start small. You're this, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're this. And then all of a sudden there's a bunch of lies and I can't see the cross anymore. That's why we cannot lose sight of the cross. The cross is to be the thing that is to be the forefront of our minds all day long. Okay. So we're going to talk about the blood and, um, we don't like talking about blood. We don't like blood in Western context. It's kind of gross and uh, has a bunch of, you know, I don't know, probably, unless you're a doctor, you probably don't like blood. But in the, in the ancient Hebrew wor world, that blood signified life. Um, and, and truly, if you were to read, when you read in the Bible, all the way from Genesis to Revelation, one of the things that we see is blood is at the center of it all. Blood is at the center of it all, and blood is everywhere in Scripture. And so um, just a fair warning, there's going to probably be some things that I, I read that are graphic, um, but I do think it's good that it's graphic. Um, okay, I'm going to read this for you all. And uh, yeah, I've read it like 30 times this week, and it makes me cry every time. This is from a pastor um, named Peter Lewis who wrote a devotional guide called Keep the Blood Warm, a 30-day guide to a heart on fire. I encourage you all to read it. It's incredible. Exodus 29, 38 through 39. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs a year old, day by day, regularly. 
One lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. The Levitical priests in the old covenant were required to offer two lambs each day, one in the morning and one at twilight. The Levites, the specific tribe of Israel that was tasked with handling the temple duties, were required to do this daily. As I was reading this text one morning, I was arrested by this verse. It was as if God himself said, stop, pay closer attention to what you just read. I began to imagine in detail what these two verses looked like each and every day. The sun is just beginning to rise over the camp of Israel and the sound of bleeding lambs and goats fill the morning air. A robed Levite rises from his tent and makes his way to the tabernacle. As he enters the outer court, he sees the prominent brazen altar, a place of slaughter and forgiveness. In humble obedience to the temple duties, this Levite grabs the yearling lamb. The young male lamb bleats nervously as it is picked up and carried to the place of offering. The priest secures the lamb and he feels the soft wool and tender skin tense up under his skin. As he cuts its throat, the lamb lets out a loud bleat, followed by silence. He then finishes the offering by pouring the blood around the altar and burning the animal on the brass grate. This spirit-filled vision played over and over in my mind as I imagined the priest performing this duty morning after morning, night after night. As I was pondering how much physical work this required for the priest, the reality of witnessing daily death, it was as if I was awoken from a spiritual slumber. The reality is that the priest would have felt the warmth of the blood on, of the lamb on their hands and been connected to the weight of the sacrifice each and every day. Whether their hearts connected with it or not, the physical act of taking the life of an animal connected them to the sacrifice in a very intimate way. I then heard the voice of the father speak to me. If the priests of the old covenant were so diligent in stewarding the blood of lambs, how much more should my new covenant priest steward the blood of my son? In a moment, I realized how numb I was to that reality. How lazy I had been with the blood of Jesus. A deep conviction hit me. How much of the Christian activity in my life was simply going through the motions instead of a joyous response to the gospel? How could I be so numb to the greatest act of love the world has ever known? I started asking myself these questions. What would it look like for me to stay connected to the sobering reality of Jesus' brutal death on the cross? How could I keep the blood of Jesus warm upon my heart? How could I prevent myself from being numb and forgetting the depth of love and the intensity of God's passion for me demonstrated through this moment in time? How do I take something that my mind knows intellectually and move it into a heart reality? How could I, a priest unto God in the new covenant, keep my heart connected to his sacrifice from that place, offer something of value back to him? These questions sparked a deep hunger in me to know how to keep my heart innocent and alive to this truth I had been taught my whole life. 
This hunger became more than just a neat revelation. It felt as if God was inviting me to partake of an ancient lifestyle that would bring a consciousness of God into my life that I had never known previously. An invitation to enter into my ministry as a priest before God. An invitation to diligently and humbly steward the blood of Jesus. An invitation to be loved deeply and to live a life of love. Amen. Um, <laughs> keeping the blood of Jesus warm on our heart is essential to living a life that's pleasing to him. Um, to lose sight of the blood of Jesus. If we lose sight of that, we will just become another religious institution. We will become people that love arguing about theology and whether worship was good or not and a bunch of stuff that's dumb. And we'll talk about how, you know, we have cool events and cool this and cool that, but that'll happen if we lose sight of the blood. But if we keep the blood of Jesus and the great sacrifice that he made for us warm on our heart and learn to be a people in a church that meditate on that, we will be free and we will live a life of freedom we will live a life where people will say, I want to be a part of that because they're tasting and seeing something that is not of this world. And we get to boldly look at them and say, it's Jesus. When we live being washed by his blood, when that's at the forefront of our minds, people will begin to see Jesus in you because you will know that you stand right before him. And it's not the blood of Jesus. I'm just going to be very clear. It's not something that just happened 2,000 years ago. The blood of Jesus is past, it is present, and it is future. The blood of Jesus is eternal. And it says in 1 Peter 1.20 that God chose him as your ransom long before the world ever began. Long before the world ever began, the blood was a thought to be shed for you. Jesus tells us in, in, the, in the Gospels that we are to, to practice at the table communion, to break his body, to drink his wine. Why? Because the blood is supposed to be at the forefront of everything that we do. And in Revelation... This is what's so exciting. And in Revelation, when we are all in glory, when we, when we get to glory and this little life on earth is done, what we will see in heaven in Revelation 5 is a lamb as he was on the throne. The blood of Jesus, the spotless lamb of God, will be at the forefront of our minds for all of eternity. So let's keep it on the forefront of our minds today. 
Andrew Murray says, from the beginning to the end of scripture, it's another great book if you want to read Andrew Murray, something about the blood. He's an 1817 theologian, um, pastor, incredible. He says, from the beginning to the end of scripture, from the closing of the gates of Eden to the opening of the gates of the heavenly Jerusalem, there runs a golden thread. The blood unites the beginning and the end and gloriously restores what sin has destroyed. So Jesus' act on the cross is what gives us access to him. If there is no blood shed for you and I, if there is no atonement, everyone say atonement. If there is no atonement, atonement, there can be no enjoyment, there can be no fellowship, there can be nothing without the blood of Jesus. My sin and your sin put him on that cross. We deserve death. But he took it joyfully on himself so that we might have access to the throne of grace. It says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 8 says that God sent his own son in sinful flesh to be a sin offering so that we would not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. I want you to say this. He died so that I would live in the spirit. Too many of us live, by the, live bound by the flesh. The enemy wants to keep us in the flesh because in the flesh, in the flesh, we're broken, we're hurting, we're da-da-da-da. But in the spirit is where you're righteous. Your spirit is what's going to live for all of eternity. Your spirit is what's going to be with him in the throne room. Your spirit is what we need access to on this earth. The enemy wants to keep you in flesh-oriented thinking, which doesn't think about the blood, doesn't think the blood is active and alive today, thinks of the blood as this far distant memory that happened 2,000 years ago, but that's not true. The blood of Jesus in your spirit is continuously washing over you, making you right before him. When your spirit gets to heaven, you wonder what he says? Whoop, you've been washed by the blood of the lamb. That's really good. You enter life of the spirit by the blood. If you want to know how to live a life of the spirit, you get in touch with the blood of Jesus. Because if you get in touch with the blood of Jesus, that's all you need to know. You don't need to read 10 things and 10 tips on how to be prophetic. You don't need to read any of this stuff. What you need to know is that you're washed and that you're made right before him. And if you're right before him, you can ask him what you want and he will give it to you. You have to know the access you have, church. You have access to the throne of grace. You have access to the holies of holies. Why? Because of him. He took the weight of the world on his shoulders so that you and I could live. Real good. I'm preaching real good. So what do we do? Oh, man, and it's just starting to get good. Hebrews 10 says this. Therefore, brethren, or sisterin, <laughs> You're welcome, ladies. I got a daughter now. That changes things. 
having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil consciousness and our bodies washed pure with water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. All right. So as new covenant priest, his sacrifice and blood shed for us is the source, it is the foundation for our spiritual life now and for all of eternity. And what I love about this scripture is it says we can boldly enter into the throne room of God. We don't tiptoe, man. Some of us come into church and we tiptoe around. Well, you know, we got to sing the right song and blah, 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 blah. Nope. We can boldly enter into the holies of holies. That is your birthright. That is your access. That is where he is calling you to live. And in fact, if you want to know what the holies of holies is, the holies of holies is the manifest presence of God. So you have access to the manifest presence of God and you have access to the throne room where he dwells. And Jesus, this is Jesus' desire in John 17. He says, I pray that they would be with me where I am. And he answers his own prayer by going on that cross. He prays, God, I want them with me in the throne. I want them with me in the throne room for all of eternity so that they could behold me in my glory, so that they could see me and love me and enjoy me for all of life. God, what should we do? I chose you before the foundation of the world to be a ransom for their life so that you may live. Us living in the flesh on this earth, not living in the spirit, not living with the truth of the cross is denying Jesus his greatest desire. By being a victim to this world, you are not giving him his greatest desire. His greatest desire is that you would be with him where he is right now. His blood, his blood washes you so you can go to the throne room now. So that you can see him in his beauty and in his glory now. Stop saying it's too hard. Focus on the blood that you are washed by the blood. The presence of God is made manifest in our midst because of the blood. Not because we sing the right song, it's because of the blood. Oh, I got fired up. But when we get to be with him where he is, he shows us who he is. His blood gave us access to the throne and in his throne room or his manifest presence. We are living temples. He reveals to us that he is faithful. He reveals to us that he is kind. He reveals to us he is healer. He is steadfast. Where? In the throne room. Everyone say throne room, please. It's so good. So no more tiptoeing. Can we make an agreement? We don't tiptoe in the throne room. We boldly enter into the throne room. We don't tiptoe or dance and da 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 da. Nope, 
This is my inheritance because of what you did, Jesus. And you want to know how you get to the throne room? It says it so beautifully. It says in Hebrews 10, there's a few things, but I'm going to finish on this. It says that you enter into the throne room boldly and with a true heart. What is a true heart? I believe a true heart is two things. A true heart is somebody who's honest with, I want God more than I want anything else. If you want God and other stuff, you ain't gonna probably get access to the throne room. But if you want God and only God and come and say, God, I want you. I don't care. I I get rid of all this other stuff. I forsake my worldly desires and I want you. You can boldly enter. And then another thing is a true heart. Oh, this one's my favorite. This is so good. Everyone say, this is about to be good. A true heart is a person who knows the power of the blood. When we come to the Lord, this is for people who after they've been saved, after you've been saved, you no longer have to come to him dirty. Actually, that's not giving him your true heart. Because the realest part about you is your spirit. And your spirit says that you are a new creation. That the old is gone and the new has come. And then in fact, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. The truest thing you can offer God is what he paid for you. So when we come to the Lord with any, when we come to the Lord, like don't hear what I'm not saying. Can we come to him and say, Lord, I feel dirty. I feel gross. Yes. Yes, you can. But the truest way to enter in, there is nothing dirty in the Holy of Holies. You actually can't get to the Holy of Holies being dirty, which is why he went to the cross. And so the greatest way for you to enter into his presence with a true heart is for you to start to believing who he says about you. The greatest way you can enter into the holies of holies is realizing that you are washed by the blood of the lamb. That you are righteous, justified, redeemed, tenfold for all of eternity. Yeah, that's good. We don't have to enter in dirty. It's finished and it is done. You are washed by his blood. You are justified and redeemed. You're not cranky. You're not, you are happy, happy people. You are joyful, 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 joyful people because you're washed by the blood of the lamb. And so what you need and what I need is for this to move from my head to my heart. Amen. And yo, be happy. Like you're saved. Like you're going to stop being cranky. Stop choosing to get offended. You're washed by the blood. All that stuff is so non-important. Like let's be real. The prophetic pastoral tension, not important. I mean important, but very secondary. The blood of the lamb. 
You're righteous, redeemed, holy, spotless, justified. I don't know if you want to focus on that or theological issues. Have your whatever. I'm going to choose to be somebody that focuses on the blood. Because I want to learn how to be free. And I want to learn how to get in touch with my spirit because my spirit's free. And I don't know about you, but I'm really sick and tired of being bound by things of the flesh when that's not what he paid for. I want to live free. I want to live free. I want to live free. And I want you to live free. And offering him anything less than that is a blemished worship. What got the people, the priest, in a lot of trouble. Okay, you can have the fear of the Lord and the joy of the Lord at the same time. You definitely need both. But what the priests would get in trouble for in the Old Testament is when they offered blemished lambs and blemished goats to the Lord. And so actually, if we come to the Lord with, Lord, I'm dirty, I don't deserve this. That's offering him blemished worship. Pure worship is offering your true heart to him saying, I am redeemed, sanctified. I'm a son and I'm a daughter. Amen. All right, I'm done. I only went 10 minutes long. Um, Can you stand up? Thank you. Um, I'm going to have, um, if you're on the prophetic ministry team, can you come up? We're going we're gonna to end tonight in communion. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually confess in front of all of you. I, I confessed this to my friend Benjamin this week. Um, as I've been reading about the blood this week, I have been so convicted at how casually I have approached the table of God. Um, I have... I'm just going to, I'll confess, I have no shame. I'm washed. (laughs) I don't care. Yeah, yep, I'm a pastor. And I confess that I treated the table of the Lord very casually as something just symbolic that I do, that we do to check a box um, at the end of worship once once every other month. Um, And I found myself repenting before the Lord this week. Because he tells us, he tells us, do this in remembrance of me. If you want to keep the blood warm on your heart, practice the Eucharist. Practice the Eucharist. I'm not going to teach on it because truly I'm probably not educated enough on it as I need to be. But I am going on a mission of learning more about the table of God. Because I want to keep the blood of Jesus warm upon my heart. And I encourage all of you to go on your own journey this week as you leave this place. Um, Whether you want to practice communion at home with your families, I encourage you to do it with people. I know we already did this as a church, but hey, I want to keep the blood warm. Like I want to keep it nice and hot. And so I encourage you... um, to find a rhythm for you as a family to practice this in your home um, 
And I also am going to challenge all of you to go home this week. You have homework. I never give homework. But I'm starting a school. You should all go, come to it. It's going to be awesome. But I want you to, to go home this week. And I want you to come before the Lord and say, I'm going to come before you every day until the blood of Jesus gets warm on my heart. I'm not going to offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise out of religious duty. I'm going to offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise once I know the blood's warm. And if none, if there's somebody in here who's never given your life to Jesus before, or this is the first time you've, you've heard a message like this, and you're like, what in the world? I'm free. Or maybe you were a Christian. I feel this. Maybe you were a Christian when you were, you were young, and you just started coming back to the church recently, and you felt like the church was the most shameful place for you. I just, I want to pray for you. If you want to be saved, like, come meet with me. I'll be over here. Um, but for everyone else, I want us to all end with just communion tonight, um, partaking of, of the, the body and of the blood. And as you come up, I actually, I, I encourage you to leave um, in twos and threes and just begin to like take communion together in your chair and just thank him for his blood and thank him for his body. And he's going to make the blood warm on your heart. Amen. Amen. So Lord, we, we receive these elements. And we thank you for the body that is broken for us. Yeah. And we take the wine, Lord. And we, we drink this wine and we say, thank you for the blood you shed for us. So we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So just... Come ahead and make your way up front. If you have to go home, I totally understand. But if you are leaving, please leave. And if you're staying, I want to keep this a holy place. And uh, yeah, again, if you want to get saved, come pray with me or if you're a prodigal. The other thing that I felt, oh, I'm glad I remembered. I feel like there's people in here tonight that you are like the older son from the prodigal son narrative that you've been in the house of God, but you don't feel home. And I just feel like Jesus is gonna wash over you right now.